Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, depending on where you're at. And welcome to AFB Ukama Conference. Today's session, we're joined by Ronnie Mayner, who's a family business owner, who will be sharing his story, and then we'll have a conversation um, and have the opportunity to ask questions. So you're welcome, Ronnie. Over to you to share your story. Thank you. Thank you, Nike, and uh, welcome to all our visitors to this fireside chat. As mentioned, my name is Ronnie Miner. I am based in Nairobi, Kenya, and the business I'm involved with is a technology business. It's um, it's primarily a, what we call in technology terms a VAR, V-A-R, a value-add reseller. The name of the company is Trans Business Machines. We abbreviate it for TBM. So uh, TBM turned 30 years old um, earlier this year, that was in Feb, uh, February 6th, if I remember, on the Certificate of Incorporation. It has been uh, operational under the leadership and guidance of the CEO, founder, chairman, if there's three titles for him, um, who is my father. And he's still alive and, thank God, uh, has made it through the last one year and a half with the, with the challenges of COVID. So he's an 83-year-old gentleman now. This means he set up this business in his early 50s. And many people have asked, a 50-plus-year-old in the 90s set up a, a technology business and has kept at it uh, through a lot of dynamism and changes, adaption. It has actually uh, made it through to 2021. So a bit of background of his journey, then a little bit into um, my journey, how I got involved in the business, and then talking about where we are today in terms of the handover, which he's very keen. He's, he's been very verbally communicative to his, his family, his children, and the two of us in the business, myself as his third-born child, and my elder brother, who's the second one. So he has, he has communicated it, that he would actually like to see this business uh, continue. So I'll catch up to that as the third, third point. So let's talk about uh, where the business is coming from. So in 1991, when he set it up, he actually had come from a background of um, selling technology. He was fortunate enough to have joined and worked with a multinational in the 60s, late 60s into the 70s. And, and this multinational then disinvested or pulled out of, of Kenya in the early 80s. And they kick-started a channel program where they asked their employees, because they already had existing customers around East Africa. And I, I would imagine it was actually throughout Africa. And the name of the company was IBM. It still is IBM. So he, along with fellow colleagues that worked for IBM, then were given the opportunity to set up their own business and work as a reseller of the technology that they had actually been implementing. They were mainly technical agents and also selling. And for from, let's say, 1980 to 1989, 1990, it, it really worked well. Their, their partnership evolved, and, and they really took over the, the business that IBM had already built in the region. And success then brought about 
as they say sometimes, um, collision or lack of cohesion between the founding partners. And for him, he, he then opted to move himself. He was the managing director. He had um, what he felt was strong relationships with the people that mattered, which was the end users. So he walked up to the rest of his uh, partners and he said, it's okay. It seems we have grown this business, it has done very well, but we cannot see eye to eye. I'm going to leave and I'll leave my shares. I'll leave you in the business and I can go and maybe figure out what to do with myself. So, and that is how 1991 came around and, and he decided to start the whole journey again. And he started, uh, I think if you, for those who were there, then the technology that was seated inside offices was primarily on the front side, uh, printers, uh, we used, people used to print uh, documents with uh, big printers that covered a shared, they were like shared printers amongst uh, different stuff. We didn't used to have the individual small inkjet printers because that technology was not that uh, popular then. And then um, in the back end, which is what he had come from, uh, IBM had sold quite a few large systems. Um, they used to call them the AS400s, the RS6000s. They had large storage systems as well to store data. Um, but he didn't get into that part of the business until he could prove himself with the front-end consumer-type technology. So he persisted. He, he worked with the consumer front-end technology. The authorization to sell a big-end server required a lot of investment. It required investment in people. Uh, it required knowledge of uh, those large customers whom he had a relationship with at his previous partnership, but now he didn't have the accreditation or the certifications to get involved in that business. But from 1991 to 1997, the commoditization of technology took place. IBM released the first laptops. Uh, we moved away from typewriters. We moved towards um, desktops and laptops. And the rate at which they were being bought, the, the number of units being sold increased drastically. Or Microsoft rather became a dominant player. Um, then I remember because I joined him straight out of uh, university. So this is now where our paths uh, met. I started uh, participating in the in family business. So in 1991, I was finishing my high school. We had a gap year, uh, fortunately, and he, he did not like the idea of me sitting at home doing nothing pro productive. So he suggested, why don't you do a, a six-month, one-year course? And I think it was in my third year in, in high school. So we are four years high school in, in, uh, in Kenya. Around my third year, he took me on a business trip. And it was to one of those IBM forums where the channel, the African channel, so partners from Botswana, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Kenya would meet. And it was a, a, a reseller or channel event in uh, Zimbabwe at a, a venue called uh, Elephant Hills in, in Victoria Falls. And on my first international trip, um, and I got the experience, first-hand experience of the life of a traveling businessman. And I quite, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole setup of uh, waking up, sitting in a conference room, discussing strategy, looking at new technologies, figuring out how you pick the one you find viable for your market and, and who you're going to target to sell it. Um, and there was where my interest got peaked. So by the time I finished uh, my high school a year later and I had a, a gap year, I thought technology would be an interesting space to, to study. Um, so I, I got into a local college, 
and I opted for evening classes so that I could be part of the, the business that she was starting. It was quite new. In 1992, it was less than a year old, actually. And, and the office probably had, what, less than 10 people. So I offered my services uh, at, a, at a typical uh, father-son uh, salary uh, negotiated rate. You know, at that point when your father is looking at you at, as, a, as a child um, and he's still educating you, he's still housing you, uh, and you're saying, no, but I'm bringing value, you need to give a salary. <laughs> You're given uh, pennies. Yeah, just don't worry. This should be enough for you. You, you don't have any lifestyle costs to, to deal with. But that aside, I think it was it was an interesting period to uh, just start seeing what people were doing, buying, um, like I say, front-end office uh, equipment like desktops, laptops, small printers um, for their office assistants. I sold a few to some of his business colleagues who would buy them for home and office because they could. They had children at home. They wanted to learn technology. And there's where now I got party to uh, being being interested and participating in the business. So the business grows uh, first six seven years. His his vision is still to target those large enterprise accounts that he felt was where he had come from. His previous partnership, he had been able to deal with a few banks, uh, manufacturing companies. And he had sold those large IBM systems that existed in the 70s and the 80s. So his opportunity, his big break came towards the late 90s. And he managed to secure one of them, the large mainframe. Uh, those who know the previous technology IBM sold, mainframe server transactions. And it gave him a big boost. Um, around the same time, I had worked for him until around 1996. And through his network... I managed to get an opportunity to work in South Africa, again for IBM. I felt really, really privileged that I was uh, walking the journey that he had walked, um, getting employed by this American multinational. And I moved to South Africa in 1997, and I did not uh, come back to Kenya until 2011. It was originally a six-month uh, move. I was meant to be uh, working for a six-month short period training, but it it just kept being renewed and i started really enjoying my my, my freedom uh, opportunity to to work outside the control of your, of your father the experience was good the pay of course was different uh, so i left the business continued growing my elder brother joined and started participating in it and together i think they did a very good job uh, by the time i was in Congo around 2009, 2010, working for a South African entity called IBUST. He called. I was running the IBUST operation in Kinshasa, DRC. And he called me and he asked me, what's what's happening? What's your plan? Uh, this business is now, at that time it was what, um, 19 years old or so. And he it had grown. It had really done well um, from their first transaction into the mainframe space in 1999-2000. They had gone on to deal with multiple other banks and sell the technology that he felt was, was a game changer, which was the back-end servers, back-end storage, the large systems. So I then come back into the business. Um, it was a tough decision, hesitant one. Let me, let me put it that way. Hesitant in the fact that you're busy running your own independent career. Uh, it was dependent because he negotiated or used his network to get you in uh, 15 years ago. But now you have grown. I moved out of IBM. I'd worked for Microsoft. I'd moved out. I'd worked now for some of the larger South African technology companies. And I felt I was uh, defining my, my career independently. 
But the seed planted when I was in my last year of high school and my first year after high school when I was part of this business that I'm in right now, uh, the seed planted was still there. And it was a very difficult call when you asked that the business is big enough. It needs, uh, number one, somebody younger. And number two, somebody who understands this this type of uh, being involved for the past 15 years. So uh, I went back home. My family was in Johannesburg. I had the discussion and I moved back to Nairobi to, to see how I can be of value or benefit the family business. And I've been here ever since. It's been 11 years. So in terms of the, the process of founder working with his children, um, it, it involves one the founder has to be ready. He has to be really ready to um, kind of let go. Uh, trust is the key word. Trust that this team of uh, his sons can actually, number one, and number two, take it forward. So I think all founders who have this succession vision within them, it's not about maintaining the status quo. I'm sure it's about growing what they had started. And yes, some of them bring businesses from zero to uh, a stage which they probably wouldn't even imagine. And they've done very well. And they can, It's for us, for example, in the industry of technology, it is one of those uh, industries that has continuously shown um, leadership in, in terms of innovation, leadership in terms of uh, growth. It is, a, it is a very, very diversified industry with multiple uh, potentials for growth and that has been our, our that has been our ask and, um, and in the last seven eight years we've tried to just take the the core of the business and what it does and look ahead and say what, what can we adapt um, will this central business of infrastructure let me call it infrastructure um, deploying large systems, whether they are server systems, storage systems, networks, will it still be relevant in another 10 years? And what changes should we do to see through those next 10 years? Um, an example of a, a field or specialization that was there, but not as, as, um, not as a priority eight years ago was security or cyber security. Um, and I remember being introduced to it in 2012. I'd just been in the business for two years and thinking, nah, you know, um, just as we secure our physical assets, our buildings, our people, our staff at home, our families, data should at some point demand technological security. And so we started building a team in 2013, 2014. And yeah, cyber security is, is one of the fastest growing departments within our business today. And I guess that's the type of transitioning from previous relevant technologies to current while still maintaining um, some sort of futuristic uh, vision of where you think the whole uh, infrastructure space, technology space is going, and investing, starting small teams uh, and seeing where they're going. And, and so that's where we are. Um, he still comes to the business, but I think he's more or less uh, trusted us to run 90% of it. He's here, he's, he's ready, walks into my office once in a while when he wants to ask a question and I'm free to walk into his office whenever he, yeah, I need some guidance or input. Um, so then comes the question of, so the family that is in the business, so we are two sons, but he has five children. We have an eldest brother who's not in the business. We have a younger brother who's not in the technology business as well. So that's four boys. And then we have the youngest 
a daughter who is um, also totally detached from the uh, the main family business, which is the IT business. Over time, I think uh, some of these um, founders have been able to diversify their interests, and he's been able to create a portfolio of other interests outside. But this is his main day-to-day -day operation. Uh, in, in our culture, we say this is his main farm because we are an agricultural the Kikuyus are an agricultural uh, community. So this is where he tills day by day. But he's also got those smaller farms that he's trying to grow, that he's looking at and saying they are also good investments, whether it's in real estate or it's in farming. So those are two other interests, one of which he's doing it with uh, my younger brother. So, so there is diversified interests, a bit of real estate, there's the core technology business, and then there's plans to also try and grow an agricultural business. Um, how does that succession happen? Well, I think that is where we are at now. We're in the midst of it. And for me, joining a local association that uh, helps people in my situation, second gen or next gen, looking at working through this dynamic of founder to next gen, basically succession planning. What are the potential challenges? How do you go through them? And one of the most important things I picked up in uh, the local association of family business enterprises is there are things you will not know how to put in place. So find the expert, bring them into the business, and let them be of their professional assistance. Um, so I've been a member of the association of family business enterprises locally for three years. Uh, I met a consultant within the association who I thought was somebody my fellow family members would be interested in meeting. I introduced her to them, um, and we have started the discussion. Uh, she's an expert at estate planning. She's an expert at trying to put in place governance, as she calls it, family governance structures separate from business governance structures, and trying to make sure that they will stand the test of time. And and, and the test of time is, is this. When the founder is no longer able to walk into these uh, businesses on a weekly, daily basis. How will they operate? And will the next gen be in agreement in, in, a, in a coordinated manner? Will they see through the transition so that they also can continue the same businesses and hopefully think in the same manner that we are also in transition? How do we allow for the same same businesses and others, maybe new ones that we might come up with, move to the, the grandchildren, our children. So we have had multiple discussions now as a family. Uh, it's not with our children, not with our spouses yet, just his, uh, his wife, who's my mother, who's still alive, and his children. And this, this conversation is, is, is taking shape. And now the consultant is coming in to say, you have these steps to take to protect what you have built so far and to allow it to have some form of transition mechanism. I think I'll stop there, just giving a background as to where we are at and open up for further questions. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for joining us and for sharing your your story and um, just unpacking it and your experiences and what led you here. It's insightful when we start uh, having conversations with next gens that are on the continent that are joining family businesses and seeing that transition happening and being a part of that transition. 
So it's it's fascinating to to hear your story, and we thank you for sharing it with us. Um, as one of the first questions I'd like to ask is that: Do you think religion had any role that it played in your family or your family business? Hi, Nikke. Can you hear me? I can't hear you yet. Can you hear me, Nikke? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi, Ronnie. Can Ronnie? you hear us? Yeah. Hi, Ronnie. Can you hear us? Hello. I'm not sure if he can hear us. Hi, Ronnie. Can you hear us? Yes, I can read. I can read the questions. Okay. I right. just cannot hear. Uh, can you hear us? No audio. Okay. We can type our que- we'll type our questions in the chat box. Okay. Go ahead and type. I I can read the chat box. Okay. Uh, so the first question is around uh, what role did religion play in your family's journey? Okay, that's a good question. So we we've been brought up in a in a Christian uh, setting. Um, my my parents uh, were both brought up in a traditional Kikuyu cultural environment, but um, along the way through the whole colonial drive into the region, Christianity was introduced. So by the time I was, I remember in preschool, we would go to uh, a local Baptist church. So that's the faith. Um, and we are all still uh, Christians who uh, practice Christianity uh, the normal way. Um, and uh, I would not say we are that extremely religious. And I do not think the decisions made have, had, uh, have been uh, influenced by religion per se. I would rather think they have been influenced more by the whole cultural Kikuyu approach to if you're given an asset like land to till, and if that land is um, the family land, you have to provide of your effort to make it as viable or as profitable as possible. And if you can do even more, if there is a way you can go and acquire, increase the, the land for the benefit of the family, then by all means, um, do so. So, and I think that's how uh, in his journey before he started uh, living in Nairobi, he was uh, born and raised and educated uh, about 60 kilometers out, out of the, the city, uh, Nairobi city. And it was only in his early 20s uh, where he felt that he'd be better off taking time out and with the blessings of his mother, he jumped onto a bus, a story which he tells, not a bus actually, the back of a of a of a lorry carrying market produce, fresh produce from his village to Nairobi City, and that is how he left. Uh, he said he had a bag and two shillings, which then was probably worth I can't even convert, uh, and that was his journey. Once he left, he left, but he knew he had to make the most of the opportunity uh, and the decision he had made to come to the big city. Yeah, I don't know if I've answered that question around the role of religion. Yes, so the second question is, how did you handle Mm -hmm. your father being CEO, chairman, and leader of the family business? And what was your journey like in seeking for greater responsibility as a next-gen? Well, that is probably one of the most um, um, enduring tests of resilience uh, that I believe most founders... Um, willingly put on their dependence, on their children. They, they really want to test your commitment and, and how determined you are to, to be there, especially when they feel you, you might have an alternative. And, and I believe those who've had the, the ability to work outside their family businesses, build 
something of a career and look at it and um, positively and see the trajectory and say, well, you know, I could actually make something of myself in the corporate world. And when you come back to a non-corporate business, it is a family business, it probably doesn't have the expanse of a multinational. It's probably a country-specific or region-specific business. Um, being humble is what I think the founder is testing. Apart from being humble is, are you committed or are you just here waiting for me to move? Then you can decide how to uh, tear it apart or take whatever you feel is worth to you and then go back to your real passion, which was working in a big multinational living in a foreign land. So the first five years, for me, I felt he was really testing my patience um, in, in more ways than one. Yes, my suggestions, my ideas, some of which he would be convinced we would go with. Um, but no, I was a bit more impatient. I really wanted some decisions to be made quicker, sooner. And those would then create uh, disagreements, which, yes, we, would, we, were, we were disciplined enough to have uh, board meetings every quarter. But you'd have to live with it just like you'd live with it in the corporate world. Once a decision is made uh, by the person who has the final say, that's it. You are in and you have to live with, the, with that decision. So I think it, it, it meant that I had to exercise a lot of patience. I did not lose my voice. I don't think I ever felt that I could not uh, express a different opinion. But uh, even when I felt strongly about an alternative direction or decision to be made, I had to stick by and accept that uh, his was the final decision. Okay. Uh, the third question, how did you navigate the father-boss relationship? Uh, did you have instances of being daddied at work or being bossed at home? How did you deal with that? So um, the first part of the question, I think I kind of answered in the, in the previous question around respecting his authority. Um, but not respecting it to the point where I could not express myself, I could not uh, offer. And very sometimes very strongly where he could tell I'm not happy that I am of a different opinion. That openness, at, at least I'll give him credit, he, he, he always allowed that to be present. And anything that took place within the four walls of the office, it's, it ended here. Um, we, we could meet for family functions on the weekend. There was no carry-on discussions about some boardroom meeting or some discussion in his office that didn't go too well. So there was no crisscrossing. And I think I respect him for that. He, he, he did manage to keep what was work-related at work and what was uh, family and um, outside office, outside the business, that remained outside the business. Okay, another question from Nike. You mentioned that your family has well, that journey like and what benefits have you seen? So, yes, um, like I mentioned, um, for me, a big part of starting this journey is finding similar like-minded um, businesses, uh, which are basically family setups, and trying to share the same, whatever challenges that we're going through. So, uh, in Kenya, the Association of Family Business Enterprises has been one of those very pivotal um, bodies that I personally, just after seeing it being launched and knowing the chairman and original founder of the association, 
I, I immediately, because I felt it was something that was relevant, something that uh, he had spoken to me and I was also trying to process how does this thing happen, how does success our, our siblings and then even further to our children. So, and, and, and what the association put forth is there, there are people there who are consultants, who are specialists, who can help. They, they can take your requirements they can give you case studies and scenarios of what others have done. And it's your pick because there's multiple ways to, to go about it. So so we've had multiple sessions with a particular consultant that we picked. Um, and we are at the point at which we're trying to finalize the first two distinct distinctive estate planning uh, activities where um, she will actually go ahead and put together some structures to allow for uh, ongoing concerns, assets, and shareholding uh, clarity on shareholding structures. Oh. So it, it, it's at the early stages. It took a bit of a while to get the buy-in, especially I think this journey has only become, um, they only start if the founder wants them to start. And I remember telling him I've joined this association it is for this value. And it was just FYI for your information. Then I went for two, three events. I think a year passed. I would come back and share whatever I found interesting, whether he was reading, you know, booklets or uh, stories. I think he was. Um, I then managed to get him as an invited guest speaker to one of their forums. I think it was around the second year or third year of me being a member. And he, he got the feel and, and experience what it, what, it, what it feels like. And there are other founders there. There are founders with their children. And for me, I think that is the benefit of such an association. If the founders will meet other founders and share their fears, because I think their decision-making, though they have a vision, sometimes is held back by cultural beliefs and sometimes fears. Um, but if they were to find that safe space, that they could interact with similar-minded uh, uh, individuals who have worked very hard and rightfully so have built something they cherish and they and they would really like to see last. Um, it, it's more or less like my situation. I was very, very happy to find other next gens facing the same challenges of how do I communicate effectively to the founder? Um, how do I have a disagreement with him or her as a founder, and still work our way through such a disagreement. So, so such organizations for me very powerful. Um, and yes, still, still a journey that uh, I'm going through, and something I would encourage any um, family business members, whether they are founders or next gen, is try and find similar um, families, similar individuals who uh, are in the same situation and see if there is something they know or something they have done that has worked and share, share those positive uh, stories. Okay, another question from Titi. How has the journey been collaborating with your siblings with respect to family business or family wealth? Are you also preparing your own children for being owners and stewards of the family wealth? Yes, so very good question. I think um, one of the... So let's talk about siblings before we look at now our dependents, now the, the, the third generation. So I think with siblings, one of the things I picked up was just the ability to share information. Um, it is also important that even though they are not in 
the business dealing with the daily decision making and the and the running of of the entity that they, they they get some level of reporting or insights about where the business is at um what the business is planning to do in the midterm short term uh, moving on to the long term and to keep that flow of information i think if if those who are not in it can still have some level of uh, visibility and uh, share information it it will not be a surprise or it will not be a situation i think in the future where people don't really look at it as a viable entity they don't look at you as a value add partner but if they see you actually doing a good job and they they, they are deriving benefits from it um i believe they would have less to 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 bring up as challenges or issues even when the founder is not there so open communication is key um transparency is the next thing so what are these um business interests and assets and are they is are they known um very important i think if there is a way you can make that uh, level of sharing um open and transparent to the individual members and then talk about them what 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 should we do with them are they for um current investments are we looking for funding so that we can further develop them are they for future developments It's kind of like aligning the different members towards the same direction um so the transparency and the communication can help with that the part of the children i think is very very important we, we i don't think we've done a good job on that as yet we we need to have them come in and spend time here just like i gave my example um they are now reaching the majority of the eldest children are in their mid teens going to end teens some are already up into university but if there was a way we could institute a program for them to be visiting the offices seeing what we all do what i do in my in my setup of the of the business what my elder brother does what even their grandfather does it would be it would be good so we haven't put in place those structures because i think talking to them in the home setting is not as effective you could and maybe those who are interested could listen and want to um recall some of that uh, vital information but bringing them in letting them be part of the whole environment walk around see you having those meetings pick up calls um engage staff i think that would be would be powerful and maybe even when the university aged um third gen uh, on holidays maybe even allow them to come and work not just visit for an hour or half a day allow them to come and be part of this um so all those are still plans nothing yet in uh, in action okay another question from cici and another one from nike so cici says what do you think founders can do to make succession planning successful on the continent um so for me i think if there was a forum that they would all find safe space to connect and talk and share um whether it is what they their hopes are and i think uh, what their cultural beliefs are and what their fears are that would be a powerful forum um more so just for them to see what others are doing in in, in that forum i'm sure you'll find those who have taken 10 steps ahead to put having succession planning succeeds and there are those who have been holding back and when they talk to people they appear i think there's a lot of respect they give to um people that have gone through the same journey 
Um, people have started with nothing, probably left their homes with absolutely zero, um, moved into a new city town and started from absolutely zero and built what you'd consider considerable assets. Um, those would peers they would listen to. Uh, from their own um, dependents or children, a few, a few, I think, have the full openness to listen and really take action. Um, though a peer platform where they would share and exchange in a very uh, open manner, I think through that they will mold themselves and share best practices that allow them to then uh, see best way forward. The next question from Nikkei was, you mentioned you have not yet included your vice president in your governance. I think plans to do so. Yes, so yes, definitely that was, um, that is part of the plan. I think the the discussion with the founder was, can we first figure out what we want? Um, and even people like our, um, our sister is in it because she is, uh, despite her being married off to a, another family, she's still uh, a member of this family. So, can we first figure out what we want and agree amongst ourselves before we bring more uh, alternating, probably alternating opinions or voices? So, so I think if we can get to that part as uh, a unified uh, in agreement, uh, the the role of spouses and children will be, I think, easier to to manage. Okay. Final question from Titi. Do you think that the generational communication gap is something we can overcome on the continent? Yes, I think it's something we can overcome. I already feel now with uh, my teenage children that we have a gap already. And it's, I think it's purely because of their interests. Um, so even when I look at some of the uh, points of concern I, I had five, seven years ago and I had just come back with uh, the founder, it was maybe I had different interests. Maybe the interests that I had were not aligned to his and he felt, well, listen, I'm the final decision maker, so we'll go with my interests. So it is definitely something we can overcome if people can align with the same interests. And it starts with the why. I think I was I was reading something about um, vision and how you can sell vision properly to the entire uh, business and even now to the extended family. Um, if we can communicate effectively amongst ourselves why we have picked a specific direction of putting governance structures and that message is communicated as well clearly to the spouses and the children and also even to staff, because we call, we consider staff as, as, as being a family business, we, we consider them part of the family. If that why is clear enough, then there's definitely no room for a communication gap. We we will eventually come towards an, a point of agreement, um, because we have already uh, we've already discussed, we have debated, and we all know why we are in this, and the, and the direction we are trying to, to move. So... That alignment for me would be a good starting point. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for sharing your journey with us and also um, so much wisdom. I loved your your closing um, response on articulating the why to include um, all family, um, not just technically family stakeholders, but all stakeholders. Should anyone want to get in touch with you, how best can they reach you? Oh. I, I forgot that you can't hear me. 
Okay. <laughs> thank you, Titi. Uh, thank you, Nike. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure why I'm the only one talking to myself, but at least I can read the comments. <laughs> How best can they reach you? Fine. I think uh, I have my LinkedIn account, which I've used to log into this uh, webinar. I think we can share that and even my email. I think I, I can I can post it here. Actually, it's not. A, so yeah, either via LinkedIn or email is good enough. Thank You're you welcome. very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much thank as well, you. and thank you to the participants who um, spared their 40, 50 minutes to listen in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.